0: Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. We Fish ASA would like to wish all of our loyal listeners a very, very merry Christmas and, of course, a wonderful new year coming up. My name is Steve Surley. I'm here with my partner Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is as always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. We sure do. Daiwa reels. WeFish ASA presents a new episode of our one hour podcast every week. It's available 24 7 wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can always get it at our website, wefishasa.com. WeFish ASA is produced by our executive producer, the one and only Brad Neerman, down in Lando Lakes, Florida. Merry Christmas, Brad Neerman. Happy holidays to you. Uh, your beautiful bride, Miss Olivia, and that handsome son of yours, Maximus. Maximus Nerman, happy Christmas to you, young man. We Fish ASA presents today, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Dave's going to have a visit with Guillermo Gonzalez, USA Bass, world champions in kayak fishing. Guillermo Gonzalez going to talk about that. I get to spend a little time with a very good friend. He is the muskie hunter himself. He's the one and only Jim Sarek. Hey there, Dave Kranz.
1: Let's hear from Dan Johnson, so take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And as always, this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey Dave, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. We are in the grip of winter across the country. The temperatures are low and and today's topic is not ice or open water, but both in terms of colors of baits. And it's a big topic and and but there's some basics that are pretty simple and it it does make a difference sometimes, doesn't it? Well, it absolutely makes a difference, and I agree with your point.
2: It, it's a it's a big topic, but it can be narrowed down pretty quickly, and, and could also be categorized in different um, types of baits. For example, uh, and I can only you know speaking for myself here, my selection of bottom baits, jigs, and worms is much narrower than my moving bait selection. Um, bottom baits: I'm black, blue, green, pumpkin, and, and white. Uh, and I would throw a swim jig in that also, um, cause it's in the jig category. I throw a white one all the time, but, um, it, it, but when we're talking about crankbaits, spinnerbait, blade colors, and that sort of thing, I'm definitely much more willing to move around the spectrum, uh, depending on water clarity, uh, how is, is it cloudy in the day, um, type of bait fish and that sort of thing. And that goes with skirt color too. But um, yeah, it does matter. And, and there are some high, high level rules of thumb with sunshine versus clear water uh, and those sorts of things. And we can take this wherever you want to take it.
1: Yeah, and, and people may not even think about that. There's like, oh, I fish a clear, clear lake so it's the same colors all the time. Not necessarily. What if it's drizzling? What if it's foggy? What if it's raining? That 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 changes uh, like you said, there's a lot of factors, but yeah, let's let's touch on some rules of thumb for uh, for uh, uh, bright and sunny or or cloudy, which would also include low light conditions or or uh, you know uh, clear water. Uh, there there are some standards there. Let's let's help the people out a little bit there.
2: Yeah, and I would also add in you know the the concept of strike zone. You know how how far are they willing to come get it? And I I fully understand. Water clarity determines that, but fish activity does too. You can have clear water and have a very short strike zone when they're shut down, and you can have a clear water clear water scenario while they're coming to get it from 15 feet. And some days we just want them to see it, so we kind of think outside the box a little bit uh, in that area. But generally speaking, and let's talk about a, a, a jerk bait, for example, and this again is just from – surrounding myself with people that know a lot more about this than I do, even though I throw on all the time as well. Um, when we're looking at clear water in a, with a jerk bait, you, you have two general categories. You have sunny days and cloudy days. And uh, on the sunny day, I'm a lot more willing to throw things that are going to create, um, a very, um, Natural presentation, so I, I'll throw clear water, sunshine. I'll throw things you can almost see through. Um, and granted, they can certainly create shine, no doubt about it. And oftentimes in his or chad lakes, you want the bait to do that. But mm-hmm. sometimes you don't want them to get too good a look at it. Where if it's clear water on a uh, cloudy day, I'm throwing a lot more painted sides, so you'll see my jerk bait box. And that's why I'm saying I have a lot more colors of baits like that than I do bottom baits, because there is no doubt, at least in terms of my confidence level that picking up the right color and keeping it pretty high level to that match regarding the concept of it matters. And, and then w- when you start getting into water that's a little more off color, I'll even start throwing pearls and whites and things like that, because they'll still hit that bait. And swim baits fall in this category, too, when when the water's not necessarily gin clear, but they're less likely to hit a translucent like a Megabass Pro Pro Blue 2 when it's dirty water or or more off-colored water when you can only see that thing about two or three foot. You're just not going to get the bites on it. So it does definitely matter. Um, And and you can say the same thing about spinnerbait blades, too, is very similar to that. Uh, The only exception I'll make there is I'll sometimes go to more coppers when it's cloudy, or golds and then i'll go to more silvers when it's sunny but that off color water deal when you're talking about chartreuse or white painted blades can really be the deal and then you can also combo it up combo them up obviously you can put a painted blade with a silver blade and they sometimes bite that really well too
1: yeah i think in that in between water where it's not clear or not dirty uh sometimes the combos i have found that they they work good or sometimes a painted blade or and a uh, uh you know a, a silver or i like what you said about i'm kind of a copper uh, uh brass or gold blade guy myself especially in in stained water i like that and uh but you know sometimes i'll throw a trailer on there that uh you know can be contrasting or sometimes a lot of times you know dark day dark color light day light color that applies to you know like you what you were saying about the the jerk baits. Uh, you know light color and clear water dark color and dark water and some people think it's opposite of that but you actually create the uh where they can see it the shadow better and uh well take night fishing for example what's the best color for night black you know you wouldn't think that would you
2: well they're yeah they're seeing the silhouette of it and uh it actually shows up better than a light color in dark and you know dave when i heard we we're going to do this topic i, I think a couple things I'd really like to leave people with that that necessarily don't fish a lot would be one of my best crankbait colors when stained water is a chartreuse with a black back. Why that is, I don't know. And it works on crappie too, really well. That chartreuse black combination in off-colored water works really well. And then there's a lot, there's another one uh, people talk about the color red in crankbaits and I would strongly encourage people to throw reds but focus more on reds in the springtime um i don't do near as well with a red color crankbait in the fall as i do in the spring it's not even close i actually put them away and that's just personal it gets in my head but in the springtime it's it's i would say my number one go-to color and that's in a lot of watercolors and obviously there's a uh there's a crayfish a mentality there with those crayfish going through their molting process and all that and that when that water gets in, them in the 50s those crayfish get really active and i think that drives that but that could be in my head but what i do know is when i throw it in the fall and they don't bite it is when i put it away yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the, the judge and jury is whether they're whether they're biting it or not and it's just been years of trying to fit a square into a circle on that one.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and you said uh, different colors on when the strike zone is smaller. That also has somewhat to do with water temperature because in the cold water, that strike zone can get very small.
2: Well, it can be it can be a bunch of things. It can be watercolor, it can be barometer, it can be fishing pressure can reduce strike zones. I mean, people going down the bank pounding something, obviously those fish aren't gonna chase everything down every day all the time. Um, and I fish some lakes where that's very evident, and even the upper Mississippi rivers that way too. But, um, I, you know, so I think sometimes we want them to get a really good good look at it because they're aggressive and they're coming to get it we got a little bit of wind it's the perfect time of year everything's right and then there's other times in bottom baits are a great example that i mean there's arguably and there's a lot of people that you could put you know a hundred of us on a call and we would all debate the best bottom color but a lot of us would say green pumpkin and it's definitely mine without a doubt but i throw a lot of black blue um as well and then i found last the last two years for whatever reason i've been I've been like spiking tubes and spike, spiking the tips of my brush hogs and things like that with orange on green pumpkin. And I'm getting more bites on that for some reason in certain areas. But um, And in the white, obviously, any type of moving jig, um, uh, it's just for whatever reason. And this this isn't a 100% solid white. I do some things to it, but you can definitely see it coming through the water.
1: Oh yeah it, it's and it's uh, I think in many cases, yeah there's some standard uh, rules of thumb, but uh, the other thing I like to tell people is you we know, what color are you confident in? do you you know if you have confidence in a bait that that can make all the difference in the world also
2: Well there's that's I think that's as is, is important as anything I mean most people, their favorite bait is what they throw the most and the reason why they throw it the most is they've had the most success with it for, for example there's times and i've been in debates on this one for years but i, I tie my own bass jigs, and there's one array of them whether it's blue or brown or green pumpkin where i'll put flash in them just a little bit of it, it's just called flash Google it and see it and I actually tie it right in there as a base right, base layer right over the thread so it's underneath the rubber and I use those jigs with flash in them when the water's a little warmer and I'm kicking it more aggressively and I will take to my grave, I get more bites on that thing and I can also tell how, how, how hard they hit it, where if I run out of them or I'm low and I go to a straight rubber skirted jig, even when I'm really stroking that thing, I don't get the bites that I do and my brown ones just got a little bit of green flash under the rubber and you can see it in clear water when you really kick that thing it shows up there's a little bit of flash to it and then it kind of goes away and just you know little things like that but that could 100% be the fact that I get a bunch of bites on it therefore I throw it the most but I think those are the little things sometimes that we can kind of kind of think of you know how, how do we want to trigger strikes and then how do we want to adapt to the conditions that are thrown at us and that can be all the things we listed
1: before. Absolutely. I, I always like to say you catch ninety percent of your fish on what you throw ninety percent of the time. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And uh boy, uh great topic. Uh left a lot on the table there, but I'm sure we'll cover it in other episodes and it's always good to talk to a Dan Johnston.
2: Dave, thanks so much as always.
1: Oh thank you Dan I am Dave Kranz, Steve Sarely is remote. And this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back.
0: Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch power and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on Earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional
2: angler Kevin Van Dam and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well that's simple, keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.
1: Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran, Steve Sarler's remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly has a passion for the outdoors. He is Guillermo Gonzalez. He is part of the USA winning World Kayak Team Championship uh, crew. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on again.
1: Oh, no problem. Uh, so you uh, you guys got this win, and uh, tell us, uh, the listeners, a little bit about it where, it, where it was at and what it took to, to, to win it.
3: Well, so we uh, we just got back. We were fishing a uh, international tournament down on Lake Cuchillo, which is in, uh, I guess you would call it the, the state of Nuevo León, Mexico, Mm -hmm. which really was only about, from my house, it was only about eight and a half hours, and it was only about an hour and 20 minutes, or
1: probably even less, uh, from the Texas-Mexico border. Oh, no. It was, yeah, it was one heck of a fishery.
3: You know, I think we caught it at a little bit of a tough time. Uh, It really seemed like the fish, for the most part, we're here, there, and everywhere in between, and, and you know how that can be, like, you know, I think it's kind of the equivalent to that fall funk that we kind of experience here in the United States where, you know, so the bike can be good when you figure it out, but um, it's sometimes hard to really nail down a pattern because they could really
1: be anywhere, and that's kind of how this tournament played out. Yeah, and it can be that way in, in places, and it's nice to see that it, it happens to everybody. Uh, tell us a little bit about who was on the team and, and you know what baits were working for a tough bite.
3: So uh, we had a pretty stacked team. We had uh, Russ Snyder, Cody Milton, Mike Elsie, Christine Fisher, um, Jamie Broad, Matthew Scotch, and Josh Stewart. So, I mean, as far as... uh. Competitive kayak anglers, you, you probably could, couldn't put a better slot of teammates together. I felt very blessed to be able to surround myself with such, you know, with basically the class of the kayak fishing field uh, nationally. Yeah. Um, but anyways, for me, uh, as far as what it took and, and, and what I kind of keyed in on, uh, one of the things, being from Texas, that I've had a lot of success with in the fall is uh, fishing dams. And we really didn't get a whole lot of practice uh, for this event. We only got about, I think it was five or six hours. And, you know, coming off of my success fishing dams in the fall in Texas, I figured it it was worth at least with just, you know, such a limited practice, it was worth at least uh, checking out the dam on Lake Cuchillo. I figured, you know, at just about any time of the year, you can, you can find some fish on the dams, and, and that proved to be, I proved to be right on Cuchillo. I was actually catching them in the first uh, one to three feet of water on a spinnerbait on the first day. Hmm. Um, it seemed like every now and then fish would move up from down deeper and you, they, they'd get catchable and And I would seem to hit them kind of in flurries. I'd, I'd catch, I don't know if it was bite windows necessarily or if I was just hitting little wads of fish, but it seemed like... Uh, I would hit a certain area and I'd catch two or three real quick. The second day, it was a little bit different for whatever reason that I can't explain. I, I couldn't really get them to eat the spinnerbait, but, uh, I changed to, a to a rattle trap and it made all the difference in the world. I actually wound up catching my limit once I switched over to the rattle trap pretty quick and, uh, and just honestly, just getting a limit in that tournament really, really proved to be uh, advantageous.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? I, I like a trap and uh, I like it in the fall. But with, for me, uh, I got to ask this since I do do throw it and, and I've caught fish like you have on a spinnerbait or even a crankbait. Uh, but if the wind picks up, it seems like if I switch to a rattle trap, it works better. Did it get windy?
3: Um, You know, not... Not really, there was there was a very steady breeze. Um, well actually, no, the first day there was there wasn't a whole lot of wind at all. The second day there was a very light wind. Um, it, it really wasn't something that I would consider uh, windy necessarily, but, uh, but there was, uh, there's, there was
1: a little bit more water movement. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it, that's great that you figured that out. And you know, what's amazing is how popular kayak fishing is getting across the country, across the world. There's, there's so many more people that are, that are using them and, and, and at different levels, recreational to tournaments that you can win a hundred thousand dollars on it. Do you see that trend continuing?
3: Absolutely. Um, I think there's no question that uh, the quote-unquote COVID era really, really sparked and grew the kayak fishing industry in a big way. You know, a lot of people just, you know, were stir crazy, and they're just trying to find ways to to get outdoors, And, and kayak fishing was a fairly inexpensive way to get out on the water and catch fish, and I think as more and more people continue to do it, they realize that you know, they're really, with kayaks and the way they are nowadays, there's really not even a huge disadvantage to being in a kayak versus a bass boat. You can go out there and and have access to all the same fish that bass boats have access to, you know, especially with the way electronics have evolved and, you know, everything's getting smaller and they're able to shrink it down and and it's really uh, facilitating a lot of growth in the kayak fishing scape and, Honestly, it's really exciting as these tournament trails grow and, and seeing the direction that the sport's going. And, you know, it's 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 clear because, you know, a lot of retailers and, and, and big companies are now taking notice. And, uh, you know, you'll find retailers like uh, Fish USA, you know, catering specifically to kayak anglers because they see just how important of a market it is these days. So
1: it's really an exciting time. It, it is, and I and I agree. I think it'll continue to go and continue to grow um, because of, uh, like you said, the expense and the accessibility of giving getting it to areas that you can't get into with any other kind of boat, um, sort of like a mud buddy or something like that, flat bottom. But um, and, and it's it, like you said, you're not you're not limiting yourself to other waters. And uh, when it's rough, any kind of boat shouldn't be out there. So you know that doesn't even come come into play. Um, uh, so on, on the, uh, the world championship, who else competed there? What were the other teams and countries?
3: So, uh, this particular event was, uh, Mexico and Costa Rica.
1: Okay. And, and the the lake, did you name the lake that you were on or not? Did we say that again? What was the name of the lake that you guys had, you fished?
3: Lake Cuchillo, okay. which translates into, uh, Lake Nice.
1: Okay nice lake that lake nice that's uh, that's good and uh, and you had Christine on. she was the only woman on the team the rest were the were the men
3: Yes and there was actually there was Christine she was the only woman on the American team but the Mexican team had a woman as well. Her name was Carla and she actually did very well in the tournament. Honestly, she might have given. If she had caught one more
1: fish on day two, she might have given me a run for my money. <laughs> oh, well, it, and it, fishing has uh, no boundaries that way. The fish don't see who's on the other end of the line, do they? That's for sure. No, absolutely not. So, what other events? Uh, uh, that's the end of, of the uh, events for this year. Or you are you rolling right into 2023, and you have more events coming up?
3: Well, uh, for, for me, for this year, that's it. Uh, we've got uh, pretty much in February, all of our major trails get started. We have a lot of tournaments uh, starting down in Florida, and I'm really excited to get down there and, and get the season started. You know, one of the nice things about the off season is I get to hunt. I get to Honestly, I get to not fish for a while, and it's really nice because once February rolls around, I, I couldn't be more excited to get on the water.
1: Yeah, and, I, and you know what? I, I get that because I'm in Northern Illinois and and uh, doing a Major League Fish Toyota, and and I get that. I, I you need sometimes you need that downtime, and if, if you if you have the access to the water and it's not frozen like it is up here. Uh, we're getting to the end of December and it's uh, it's pretty cold up here. Our, our lakes have ice on them. So we do have to put the boats away. Uh, we're down there. You don't have to, but you have other alternatives with the hunting and everything. But I get what you're saying about you, you get that little bit of break. And, and, and I think so many uh, professional anglers do that. You see how many of them are hunters and they do the 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 deer in the late fall and the winter and a little bit of the early spring turkey before they get going on their circuits and um that's a pattern with some of these guys and and women but I i think there's a reason for that they need that little break
3: yeah there's no doubt i mean i know i know i need it i fish really hard during the year and i love it and i wouldn't have it any other way but there's something about just uh removing yourself from it for, you know, not, not for very long. For me, it's it's only really a couple of months and uh, and doing something a little different and, and refocusing so that when you get back out on the water, I mean, there's nothing like just being super stoked to get back on the water. And, and that's how I feel after after a little bit of a break for those couple of months.
1: Yeah, no, and, and and that is great. I th- I think that uh, you, you uh, all of you deserve a lot of credit, and uh, and uh, you did a good job. And uh, great, great to be part of a team like that, and and uh, do well. And and like you said, figuring out something a little different, and it, it, you figured out a pattern on a different body of water and at a different time, and but something that has worked for you in the past. And I and I think that's a good lesson for people to pay attention to. And, and definitely uh, look forward to, to talking to you in the future about uh, hopefully some more wins.
3: Sounds good. I really appreciate you guys having me and uh, I look forward to the next time.
1: Oh, no problem. Uh, you have a good one and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. No, oh, you are welcome. That was Guillermo Gonzalez. I am Dave Cran, Steve Sarley is remote and this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back. The outdoors
0: is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hard working outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG-4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley, my partner Dave Kranz is remote. Please remember that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericanfishing.org. And you know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. I definitely would like you to uh, visit muskyhuntertv.com, one of the best programs in the history of televised fishing, one of the greatest fishermen in the history of musky fishing, and a great host for this show, is the one and only musky hunter himself, Mr. Jim Sarek. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing quite all right. How many years? 17 years? Yeah, this is year
4: 17 of uh, doing the show. Pretty amazing.
0: I remember when you had a little kickoff party for the show at a a lodgy kind of place in uh, near north side of Chicago. And, and I just scratched my head, and I can't believe it was 17 years ago we got together to celebrate the start of Muskie Hunter Television.
4: Yeah, I remember that. That was at uh, I think it was Will's Northwest Woods Inn in Chicago. It was definitely a musky looking place, and had a lot of people there. It was a lot of fun. I remember kind of being in a panic when that first episode was going to air back then, and how would people like it? How would they react to it? And I remember someone asking me, they're like going, well, how many years are you going to do this? And I'm just like, well, I hope I can do it more than one. And And here I am, you're looking 17 years later, and like, wow, I can't believe I can, it's still been going.
0: That is amazing. And you know what, Uh, I'll, I'll say, without any reservation, it is without a doubt the finest musky fishing television show that I have ever seen. But let's be honest. There aren't a whole slew of musky shows out there.
4: Yeah, right. So I don't know what that means. That just means, yeah, it's it's okay for you, Jim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I know what what it means is nobody is going to put the time and effort into a TV show to show a guy going after the fish of 10,000 casts. I mean, it's not like the old days of uh, the outdoor shows where they used film and it cost a fortune, you know, every everything's on, on digital now. But, you know, there's way too many hours spent chasing muskies, uh, and I think that discourages a lot of people. They can't put the time into it. Well, a couple of things There. Number one, and number one, that's wrong. It is not the fish of ten thousand casts, and the hours put in are not what a lot of people believe.
4: Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I definitely think that uh, you know it is one of the you know they're definitely hard to catch, but they're definitely not the fish of ten thousand casts. Otherwise, I would not have been able to do this for as long as I have. You know,
0: so. And I don't want to slight uh, our, our mutual friend Joe Booker, who has done some incredible uh musky video in the past. You know, he's he he built a, a career and a legend out of being a muskie fisherman. But you're you're different, and Joe is. Uh, Joe's kind of backed off of muskies. Everything I see from uh, Joe Booker now has, has to do with northern pike. Yeah,
4: he's certainly doing a. Uh, you know, I think he's he's certainly did, he's definitely doing a a different version of stuff. He, he's he's doing a lot of pike. He's doing a lot of. You know, he's doing, he's doing a lot of redfish fishing down in Florida. I know he spends the winter's time there. So he's doing a you know, he's really enjoying himself
0: doing that. Yeah, that's what that's what I want to see. That just warms my heart when I turn on the TV and I see Joe Booker, Wisconsin boy, down there in the sun chasing redfish uh, by the Gulf. Uh-uh, get back up here and put up with the winters like the rest of us do, Mr. Booker. <laughs> Oh, he's he he's great and he can't fish. You know, one thing I when I think about muskies, I think about a lot of the misconceptions there are in the muskie fishing world, and we kind of breezed past one of them when I brought up Northern Pike. There's a lot of people that'll say, Oh, Northern Pike, muskie, six six or one, half dozen of the other. It's the same fish, big fish with teeth. That couldn't be anything further from the truth, could it? Oh
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, Pike are much more aggressive. They're much more plentiful on a lot of waters. And just because you can catch a bunch of pike by any means doesn't mean you can catch a bunch of muskies. And and so it's when you start dealing with muskie fishing, it's a lot lower pocket, a lot lower density, no matter what the lakes you're in. Um, but it's very, very different. They, they certainly are very different from, you know, I mean, obviously muskies are bigger across the board. But you can certainly, and the, and the range of the pike, you know, the pike are further north. You know, you can go to some of those fly-ins and... Uh, all the way up to Great Slave Lake and do all that and catch all kinds of pike left and right from there. But you really don't have a, too many musky alternatives like that.
0: It's funny. Uh, I, I fished on a lake and we drove, we were staying on, on Eagle and we drove to a small lake that the resort had uh, the rights to. Got in, and I, I'm not exaggerating, Jim, it was a pike on every cast. I mean, at least nine out of 10, you're catching the same. 25 inch pike every time, and I told the guy we were with, I said, I will, he says this will be like this all day. It doesn't stop. I said I'll trade all of these two foot long northern pike for one 38 inch muskie. I don't understand what the you know it, it, it could they eat those the smaller uh smaller northern bite like crazy. Uh, they're not they don't they're not very discerning in what they chase after. It seems like they'll eat anything. And muskie to me are much more discerning, much smarter fish.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, don't, I, yeah, I think they're, like you said, it's definitely different. They're definitely definitely smarter, if you want to call it smarter. I think, I think really it's being the top predator and being lower density, uh, it really makes them more leery and more aware of their surroundings and what they're doing. And that all just makes them more, more difficult to catch across the board.
0: The one thing that's truly aggravating about musky fishing is the way they will follow your bait all the way to the boat, turn around and swim away slowly. The only thing missing would be them flipping you the bird because that's what it seems like they want to be doing. Is just saying, "Uh uh-huh, sorry, chum, no way, I'm out of here. And and it's so frustrating. Why do they do that? Why do you think they do that?
4: You know, I think there's a couple reasons, and and some people get frustrated about it, but personally, I think it's one of the things that makes musky fishing great. It's why people do it. Um, you know, I, I think that when you have, you know, again, being the top predator, the net fish is also curious by nature. It's one of the reasons that makes them different than pike, right, that they, they tend to follow lures in. And uh, so they have that curiosity. I think in some waters where you have a greater density of, of muskies in some areas you tend to get more follows i think sometimes when there's more fishing pressure you can tend to get a few more follows all those things come in but even in lakes where they're pure pristine let's just say there are not many people have musky fished up here and there i mean those fish have been notorious for follows you know since everybody became musky fishing you know so it's not just something that's relatively new i i think the biggest thing is over the last you know, ten years or so. I think everyone, a lot of the musky anglers, we've all become better at catching them in the figure eight. You know, we've learned more and more about them and the information sharing. And there's a lot of different techniques we use and and different things we do to actually catch more of those fish coming in at both sides.
0: Talk about that. I know a lot of people say, oh they I watch these professionals or I went to a seminar and they talk about it. I figure eight all the time. I don't believe they figure eight all the time. Absolutely. Don't believe it, but that's not true. Uh, I know that. Uh, uh, funny story. I, uh, I fished on the Mississippi River with our mutual friend Spence Petros and uh, James Lindner, and on my first cast, I figure eighted. And uh, Jim said, "Hey, Steve, don't bother figure eighting with this color water and the amount of pressure. They really don't hit on the figure eight. Just bring the lure in and cast again, quick." No figure eight. And, and so I do that, and Spence says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, you're not figure eighting. I said, Jim Linders says not to figure eight. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's got a magazine. He's got a TV. And what are you talking He says not to do it. Well, a couple of casts later, I'm pulling my lure out of the water, and I've got it up in the air, and a big one jumps out of the water and tries hitting it in midair. And, of course, it doesn't hit the lure. It goes back in, and uh, Spence goes, yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's got a TV show. Don't figure eight.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, I said,
0: oh, my God. He says, you always figure eight. There's guys that will say, I'll figure eight if I see one. But isn't it, do you find, that you figure eight all the time. Do you find that the, the fish you get on figure eight, you don't always see? A lot of times they come out from under the boat, completely bushwhack you. Or or, or do you usually, do you often get a clue that one is there?
4: I mean, I think that the majority, I would say three quarters of the time, you'll see them either coming from farther away, or maybe you'll see them at the lure's rope for the boat. But there's probably 25% of the time where you don't see the fish because A, they're too deep, B, maybe there's some glare on the water, or the fish may just come blind under the boat, you know, just out of nowhere. And and I've caught big ones. I've caught 50-inch caliber fish in that situation that I never saw and I never would have caught had I not figure eight it. So, you know, I, I mean, I catch probably 30% of the muskies that I catch every season on a figure eight, which is a third of the fish if you think about it. Um, <laughs> and so if you don't do it, you're just making a mistake. It's just as simple as that. And if you are doing it and you're not catching fish you're probably not doing it right. And so if you watch the TV show, you'll really be able to see people doing it, I think. And uh, I've heard lots of people who watch the show, they stop and they start and they watch the video and they see all the figure eight techniques. And it's a great way to visually see how to do it. A lot of
0: people will say, you've got to be out away from the boat. They see the boat and they freak out. And... Some people even say that's the reason people are using the the big nine-foot rods now is to to be able to get it out further from the boat, especially with trolling. But that's not true at all because I know I've seen you on video many times hooking up with a big muskie and your bait is right in the motor backwash of your boat.
4: Sometimes you bet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, when you're trolling, you bet. There's times when you can catch them on a really short line, particularly in warmer water, right in the prop wash. Um, but it, it all depends like anything else, how deep you're running, you know, and what you're trying to do. I mean, so typically fish that are super aggressive that haven't seen a lot of baits, they, they're going to bite the first bait through. And so whether you've got five feet of line out or 50 feet of line out, may not matter that fish is so aggressive he's going to fight bite the first one through right so a lot of times i'll run a short line just to kind of test the fish's attitude for the day while i'm fishing as well to see what's going on if the water's warm a lot of times that short bait in the prop wash will trigger those muskies to bite so it can also go that route but in in colder water situations in the fall or whatever a lot of times you got to have more line out and and when I, in places I can run multiple lines, yep, I might have some short lines, but I also have some that are longer. I, I run big lures, small lures, like anything else, just like casting, trolling for muskies. There's a lot to it, believe me.
0: That's excellent. I need to take a real quick break, uh, Mr. Jim Sirich. Let our sponsors have a word. When we come back, we'll let you talk about your sponsors a little bit. This is We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My guest is the muskie hunter himself, Mr. Jim Sarek, starting his 17th season of Muskie Hunter Television. We Fish ASA will be right back.
3: For most anglers,
0: the unexpected is expected, but what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best In category for technical clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other
2: guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuable safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com overboard.
0: Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG 4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My guest today is the one and only Mr. Jim Sarek, the finest muskie fisherman in the United States. And muskie territory is getting bigger and bigger. I used to think Canada, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, there's muskies in an awful lot of places. How many states hold muskies?
4: Um, right now, Steve, I think it's like 31
0: of the 50. 31 of the 50. That is absolutely amazing. And, you know, you still face a lot of pushback when a DNR wants to Install muskies into a lake for the first time because you'll get locals say, "Oh no, they're going to eat our bass. Those muskies are going to eat the walleyes. Muskies are no good." And and you and I both know there's instances of people who, in uh, anti muskie people who will catch muskies and just throw them up on the shore and let them die, which is absolutely horrible because number one, they are not bad for the fishery at all. They don't eat all of the other fish, but there's a lot
4: of people that don't understand them am i correct in saying that oh yes 100 i mean i think that's it's a really unfortunate situation and uh because no matter you know where you are if they install musky put muskies in the lake let's say they try to develop in the musky fishery no matter what the number of muskies is, is much much smaller than so many other species and you know, will they eat an occasional bass or a walleye? Of course they will. You know, they're opportunistic predators, but historically that's not the case. And that it's been noted time and time again. You know, the bulk of their diet might be those suckers and perch and ciscoes and whitefish or shad. That's by far the vast majority of the population of the what they're eating. And you know, a lake that is a good fishery, if it's a good bass fishery or a good walleye fishery. Um, Will more than likely produce a great muskie fishery as well. If, if the lake is, it does not have a good panfish fishery, does not have a good walleye fishery, does not have a good bass fishery. You can put muskies in there, and that will not become a good muskie fishery either. It, it's if they go hand in hand, and you can think of examples from, you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin, or how that's you know become really good, or all these lakes throughout Minnesota, or or different lakes throughout the country where. They've, they've introduced muskies and so often I'll run into bass anglers on the lake and they'll tell me stories of muskies they caught bass fishing and then I'll tell them of the stories of the big bass I caught on musky baits but they all also tell me when I'm, when it's a really good musky fishery, maybe I'm there, they'll be telling me how good of a bass fishery or how good of a walleye fishery uh, or how good of a panfish fishery it may be. Those two things almost always go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's That's, uh, that's a very, very good point. It it, tr- it truly is. Uh, you and I both reside in northern Illinois, and we see a lot of waters near us, short driving distance, that are very heavily pressured that haul muskies. Uh, Milwaukee, same way. Uh, you know, Pewaukee Lake, uh, just outside of Milwaukee, has got incredible fishing pressure. There's an awful lot of, uh, a lot of lakes uh, within a short drive of uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul that are filled with boats. And I hear people say, well, I don't want to fish for muskies there. just too much pressure. There's too many people fishing for them. They're missing the boat, aren't they?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about you can pick almost any metropolitan area throughout the greater Midwest, and there are muskie lakes adjacent to them. And, and the, the great thing about it, it seems like most of the fisheries agencies continue to stock those lakes and develop them. And so you have really good quality fishing close to home. I mean, do we love to go to northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, maybe, you know, upper state New York, go to Canada? All great, beautiful places to go musky fishing, but not everybody has the time to do that. And you, maybe you do one week a year to one of those dream destinations, right? Right, so Why right. not look in your backyard and try to find a fishery that's closer? And, and it's amazing how many towns have musky fisheries within 30 to 40 minutes or less of of where you live. And yeah, you may not catch all these giant 50-inch muskies, but so what? You get to go muskie fishing and catch a lot of them. And usually those metro lakes, as we call them, have really high populations and uh, they're really a lot of fun.
0: You you rarely see small muskies. Um, Is that because they hatch... Right out of the eggs into being twenty four inches long, or, or what's the deal with that? We're, yeah, we're, you kind of cut out? So did you I said, that question? I said the, 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 they just hatch twenty four inches long right out of the eggs
4: because
0: you don't well, see you don't see small <laughs> ones. You don't see small ones. Why is that?
4: Yeah, I think it's. I, I think that. Well, number one, a lot of the, the little muskies are doing different things. They may be tighter in the weed cover they we're fishing or roaming around in open water. And, you know, very seldom do you seem to catch one under a, a couple of feet, you know, 24 inches long or whatever. And, you know, and let's face it in some lakes, they're stocking them 12 to uh, 24 inches in length when they put them in the lake. Anyhow, right. So right, They're coming in, they're coming in and when they stock them, they're coming in. But when they're, when they're naturally reproducing and they, those fish are, those eggs are laid and maybe in the spring and in the month of May, uh, it's, it just takes a while for them to grow, and and you don't you won't see those fish typically when you're you know let's face it when you're throwing a traditional size musky bait or even you're throwing a big bass spinner bait or something chances are you're not going to catch a 14 inch musky yeah and, it, uh, it's just not happening
0: they're they're in there but they're doing us the favor of uh, not getting hooked and us not having to release them and you know sometimes the smaller fish that you catch do more damage to your hands than the big ones because you're not as uh, you're not being as careful. So they, they may be just doing us a favor by staying out of our way, but I, I definitely think it is a great thing. And you're, you're not a muskie snob. You're, you're not like, well, if you don't fish for muskie, why bother fishing? Because You like fishing for anything and, and you're darn good at bass and walleye. Yeah, no,
4: I like to fish for everything else, you bet. You know? I mean, when I'm targeting muskies, yeah, I'm targeting muskies. I really don't want to catch a walleye or a bass or a pike you know, when I'm when I'm fishing for muskies, that's kind of my tunnel vision focus then. But I spend a lot of time, you know, in the spring fishing for other species, and you know, I really enjoy fishing for the other stuff too. Oh,
0: that's that's a that's a great thing. And I I uh, it, remember I uh, I'm going to guess it's ten years ago. You and I were in a boat together. Uh, you were a marshal, and I was an observer at uh, a pro muskie tournament trail event. Uh, on the fox chain. And we were running around and measure, measuring the fish that guys had caught and released, and it was a tough bite. Not many people were releasing that. Uh, not many people were catching fish, let alone releasing them. And I remember the guys that wanted it telling me that they were seeing these big fish on their sonar, but they knew that they were looking at big carp, not muskies, and would move. And I said, how did you tell the difference? And they said, well, muskies are not going to be on the same bottom as carp. They were looking for these big marks on hard bottoms, and they felt that the soft bottoms were holding carp. They were big fish, but they were not muskies, so they would move. Um, Is that true about related to the bottom? And then... Has the new sonar alleviate, alleviated that problem? You can now see what you're chasing rather than in the old days when you just saw the little hook?
4: Yes, I would say that, you know, when it comes to, like, fish on bottom or not, I mean, that's where, yeah, muskies can be on bottom. They suspend. And if you got big carp on a lake, uh, you, can, you can, prior to, let's say, some of the older sonar, just 2D tech, sonar technologies, who's kind of to differentiate, is it a muskie, is it a carp, um, you know, in a different situation. It's kind of tough to tell, but by, by knowing their habits, you can kind of figure out what, what might be there. But now today, Steve, with all the side imaging technology, or even the live scope, but the side imaging technology alone, it's really easy to pick out, is that a muskie or is it a carp? I mean, you can kind of see off to the sides of the boat and get a really, really good idea. I know many times, when I'm out there, let's say trolling, I've been able to see muskies to the right or to the left of the boat, and I've made a, you know, and I can tell, I can see the fins, I can, sometimes you get this perfect image, and it's amazing, and so you could, you know, move deeper, move shallower, Um, even casting, you can tell that if it's a muskie or a carp, you can see it, it it takes some more practice when you're going slower casting, Uh to kind of be able to pick them out, But, um, but you can definitely tell. What are we going to see new on
0: the seventeenth season of Muskie Hunter Television?
4: Um, well, you know, I think I, I use the side it in quite a bit, you know, and 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 uh, and go, and you can see it. I talk about it quite a bit every year. So. Okay,
0: uh, are we going to new? Are we going to some new locations this season?
4: You know, I've got um, I I got a couple, you know, a couple new ones that I think that uh, that people haven't seen, and then a few of the old standbys, you know, that I. Uh, I plant, you know, I go with. It's always, you know, one of those catch-22 situations, right? You you, you, you want to go somewhere new, but it's musky fishing, you know, and you want to get a show done, so I try to add in a, a new location here or there, but yet, um, you know, people like to see stuff in some of the metro waters, northern Wisconsin, um, certain Canadian destinations. They like to see a lot of, I think, a lot of the different variety, and that's what I try to do. I like to try to show people the entire fishing season with a lot of different techniques, spring, summer, and fall, and a lot of different destinations, you know, that people
0: fish. Yeah, excellent. It's, it's great selection, great people on the show, great bodies of water, uh, great instruction. I, I, just, I just love it. And I think this is the time of the show where I... If things go as normal, I ask you, what's the biggest muskie you ever caught? And you tell me about it, and then I ask you where you caught it, and then you refuse to tell me, and we change the subject. So let's not even do that this time. What do you think? That's good with me. You know, I'm good. good, I know I'm never going to find that out. I know that I'm never going to find that out from you. (laughs) Hey, uh, you know, uh, you can catch them casting. You can catch them trolling. Uh two ways well that are obviously affiliated. You can uh catch muskies on topwaters and you can catch muskies on a figure eight. I I, I consider the 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 topwater and the figure eight a cut above casting or trolling. What do you think and if you had got the hook up with a good muskie, what would be the most exciting way to catch
4: it? You know, I mean I you know I love catching any fish on top water, so I'd say yeah, I, I love catching big muskies on top water. Um, that is my favorite way to catch them. Uh, there's no question about it. But unfortunately, you can't fish top water all the time and catch them. Just like you can't fish top water for bass all the time and catch them. Right. So
0: that is true. But you you got to be fishing. That is the thing. You got you can, we can't just talk about it. You've Got to be on the
4: water. You bet. You bet. And, and and it's all timing. Like and, like it, you know they're all lures, they're all tools, and you just kind of take advantage of it. If you, if you're someone who really likes to fish top water, well, you know every evening when that sun hits the tree line, put your top water on. Or if it's cloudy, you know throw the top water. You know you, you don't have to. You know you can just you got to pick the right situations to do it. Just go fishing. 17th season
0: of Musky Hunter TV. Uh, check it all out at MuskieHunterTV.com. You can watch it on Outdoor America. Jim's got a YouTube channel for Muskie Hunter. And then there's a Muskie Hunter TV app that's available. And all of the old shows are available for purchase on video. Muskie Hunter TV is everywhere. Check it out. If you're not a muskie fisherman, watch one episode of Muskie Hunter TV and I guarantee you'll be asking somebody to take you out to chase muskies. Jim Sarek, congratulations on starting your 17th year. Thank you for being with us. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And let's talk again real soon, sir. All
4: right.
0: Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. The one and only Mr. Jim Sarek. Isn't he the greatest? Yeah, he sure is. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the Internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnston from St. Croix, Guillermo Gonzalez, kayak fisherman extraordinaire and a world champion. And I'd also like to thank the muskie hunter himself, Mr. Jim Sarek. Thanks for being with us, Jim. Always appreciate you being here. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rides on Earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion in Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. We sure do. Daiwa Rails. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our podcast every week. It's available 24-7. And don't forget, you can always get it at our website, wefishasa.com. You can talk to us there at wefishasa.com. Well, at least you can write to us there. We answer everything we get, so feel free to tell us what's on your mind. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or something you think we ought to have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Surley. my partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing.
2: I'm professional angler, Kevin Van Dam. And people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your
4: part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.